Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future. My name is Reese Unmark, and in this podcast, we explore the intersection of four different things, effective altruism, universal basic income, the attention economy, and blockchain. And today, in episode number six, we're going to dive deeper into the attention economy uh, with Simon de la Rouvier, uh, <laughs> who is a lead of Consensus's Ujo Music. He also explores the attention economy and distributed economic coordination through something he calls curation markets. So Simon, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Awesome. Glad to be here. Yeah. Excited. Did I say your last name correctly? That's good. That's good. Uh, it's like, it's an old French surname but uh, people don't speak French in South Africa anymore. So like people don't usually do the French style pronunciation, but you know, I, I forgive people <laughs> in saying it over whatever they want. So I have failed is what I hear, but that's okay. Um, so first, so Simon, I'd love to kind of dive in and understand, I'd love to start with why within the space. So could you just tell us why you're working on the attention economy and then how, kind of how that led to curation markets? Hmm. I guess it came from a few different angles and it's all sort of converged uh, quite unintentionally actually, but um, it, it started off in different ways. One was the, uh, during my master's degree in 2012, 2013, uh, I did a master's in social informatics, which is the study of people and um, technology and how they relate together. And my topic was on information overload. And so I studied a lot about how people deal with information overload on social media and different online platforms. And it led into things, into questions about like, how do we design uh, communication platforms? Like what's the difference between IRC channel and a forum and like feed-based networks and like how do people interact and discuss and like what, what happens to people? And so like, I've always been interested from sort of a more academic side, like how people interact with, with these services. And then from um, the other side, I got interested in blockchains uh, back in 2011. Um, and then also in 2013, while I was studying my masters, uh, you know, Bitcoin didn't die. And I was just like, this 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 experiment is, is going to remain here. It's gonna be a lot bigger than we thought it would be. And so I checked back in. And at that point in time, uh, there was something that happened that was quite fascinating, and, and it was Dogecoin came. Uh, Dogecoin came around, and was just so fascinated by it because it was a, a cryptocurrency that that became successful not because it had any technical advances, but rather it just it was just a representation of the community and it, that network effect. And it just blew my mind that suddenly we could have the possibility of there being currencies and coins or tokens or assets representing network effects. And so over time, I started thinking about it more and more, first starting off with the prospect of, can we do this for people? Like, uh, you know, create a coin around a person. And that became like, how do we do that? Does it look like a traditional equity structure or is it different? And then came back into like the attention economy thing about like having a token represents a person's time. And then over time, these two sides became came together eventually. And that's how curation markets came about was, you know, you have this concept of how do we design coordination systems online? And like, how do we tokenize networks of network effects? And so like the two came together and that was where creation market started. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you were essentially trying to, you were interested first from an academic perspective, and then as you dove in from the academic perspective, you're like, wow, a lot of stuff is happening in reality today. Um, 
Yeah, I find that fascinating too. I think that Dogecoin is also one that when I tell my friends outside the space about uh, what's happening in blockchain, and I tell them, hey, there's Dogecoin, it has a $200 million market cap, and it's just a meme, you know, um, that that is very surprising for them. And I also use that, I love that as an example of, you know, essentially the mimetic quality or just this pure scarce quality of a given concept um, versus something that has utility value like Filecoin or what have you. How do you think about um, those things that just pure, like Dogecoin just purely has scarce value, purely has mimetic value or whatever. Yeah. How do you foresee, especially thinking in the long term with something like Dogecoin, you know, if you think in like five years or whatever, do you see it still, you know, existing as a, as a coin or things, I'm, I'm worried about things that are just purely art for art value and whether they're still keep their value over time. What are your thoughts on that? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating question. When you look at something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or say upcoming Filecoin, it's these things have a direct utility in the functioning of the software, right? And so they are, they have a lot of use case or value derived from that utility, but a lot of the value also derives from people uh, using the token as sort of affiliation with that network or idea or ideologies like Bitcoin has this sort of more sort of flair of like um, strong ideologies and like, you know, freedom and like, you know, uh, we create the system without other control, you know, that kind of ethos and then Ethereum sort of more like we have this world computer that we're all working on together and like, you know, it's sort of this memes attached to this coins. It's you know, past just the utility value. And so something like Dogecoin is interesting because it, it adding a coin to a meme, right? It has some interesting things that I think um, changes its behavior overall, right? One thing is it's a, it's, a, it's a feedback loop for both, right? Which means that Doge as a meme would have probably have sort of haven't, haven't had Will, will not have survived as long if there wasn't a cryptocurrency attached to it, right? And the cryptocurrency would not be around if the Doge, the meme wasn't still around, right? So it's sort of this sort of feedback loop where one, they help each other survive. Um, but the thing about meme currencies or things like Dogecoin or like Potcoin is that these, they will, they will likely, they will likely survive as long as they're relevant, right? So it's not necessary that these things need to exist on the scale of like nation state fiat, where it's like expected to last hundreds of years or like hopefully hundreds of years. Um, it's merely to represent the network effect at a certain point in time, uh, but they do benefit each other, meaning some, they, they can, they have more longer residual effect, like new memes come about because the cryptocurrency f uh, fed the meme and the meme feds the cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, I think that the you're right in saying that if the cryptocurrency doesn't have any real world equivalent, if it doesn't have a large subreddit, then it's not going to be worth money. You know, um, so kind of using that as a jump off point, I want to dive into some of these. So curation markets, I'd love to. We were just talking about it as a kind of design pattern before the show. So could you kind of tell us a little bit more about curation markets as a design pattern, and then also um, give us a little bit into who's working on this design pattern, either kind of some of the stuff that's happening in the District OX mm. side. Yeah. So for, as a design pattern, um, it, it has two core features. One of them is that um, you're using a token to, to signal things that this community should care about. Um, and that can take many forms. It could be like 
you either stake a token towards something or it's or it's literally being voted by the community or um, it's like you have to burn the token in different ways so it's all about just using this the skin in the game thing that you acquired and like putting it forth as as an intention towards something like we should do this or like let's build that or you know uh we should care about that or this that's the one core thing and that doesn't this is that can be done with any token right now it's more sort of it can be done with the ether token it can be done with um the different tokens that exist already in the ethereum ecosystem uh to use tokens in that way to signal that these are your 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 stakeholders uh what do they think uh but then there is another subset of that which goes more into how these these sort of curation markets spawn and how they are created and that touches the sort of concept of you know continuous token issuance which is part of the curation market setup which is saying um we want these kind of uh sort of coordination systems using curation markets to exist without there necessarily being one entity or institution having to go and mint these and then give them out for various means either selling them which really runs the risks of being classified as securities or um, issuing them but then doing a bad job of doing it it's like them keeping say 80% and not creating a proper network effect so the continuous token issuance part is about saying how do we how do we spawn like thousands or potentially millions of these interest networks to coordinate around, around these specific problems and things um, but do it from a perspective that we regard to be a fair issuance right um, so Bitcoin and Ethereum like these things are issued by saying we think that the miners who would do a job of securing the ledger are the recipients who are rewarded with this and thus we feel it's a fair issuance and fair representation of the network and as you can see now that's that if it's not done well then you get political issues and and issues like what's happening in bitcoin and now even again in ethereum where people are worried the miners will, will get too strong as um uh, hold on the network um, so that continuous token issuance part is uh, one of the more design patterns involved with it, which is there's essentially an alg algorithm that defines the cost of the token. You pay with Ether, you get a token, and the cost increases based on how much is in supply. Um, so that's like the basic model of that. And like people can leave if they want to and then take ETH with them. So it's sort of this community would then shrink and uh, grow and shrink as relevant the meme is or the, the topic is in this curation market um, so that that's the core thing and that's the sort of two core patterns but um, and I think one can experiment at different levels of that um, some of the things I want to do is experiment just with the curation portion not necessarily the issuance portion um, and I want to experiment with the issuance portion together uh, so uh, there are different people experimenting with this design pattern in different ways because uh, a lot of it's also about like how do we make sure that we get the value out of it, which is people coordinating, so curating to, to coordinate. Um, so one of the examples is uh, Luke Duncan with, uh, as part of sort of the district OX network is put forth this proposal where he called it the Hive Commons, which is about how do we figure out a way in which we can direct funds for development of various things, right? And so using curation markets, you basically, um, you know, Put your money where your mouth is by saying i think this is an important project to work on this is an important project to work on and what's interesting about the incentive model he designed is that um, the project's success um, 
is dependent on how is like if people buy tokens the reserve of of ether available to be used by the project grows but if the project is not doing their job the reserve is shrinking so there's sort of this you know mexican standoff between the funders and the founders which is like we'll work with you but you need to work with us and we are both in control of this reserve so you sort of you sort of hold ha- hold hands from mexican side of probably not the right way to say it, but you know both are aligned to work together <laughs> in making making it work um Real fast on this project because I, th- I think it's a great project. I think it just shows kind of the emergent Ethereum stack that we're seeing here, which is really fascinating. Which you have, you know, Ethereum as the base layer, then you have Aragon one step up for governance, um, and then you have one step up from that. You have District OX uh, for essentially these peer-to-peer marketplaces um, with something like Ethlance as the first one, and then you have one step above that. There are they have this great. And I think they're doing a great job of kind of uh, coordinating the crowd here, where they have their uh, GitHub issues thing, and they say. Hey, hey, anybody who wants to create a GitHub issue, um, you essentially can propose projects on there, and then the top five projects got uh, essentially their backing. Uh, and so mm-hmm. this, this Hive Commons one was one that yeah. he proposed, got backing, and it's like, wow. It's, so it's using so many strange parts of the stack. It's using both the stack itself and concepts in curation markets on top of District OX. So I think it's, I think it's a fascinating. It's, fa- it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch because that, that what District OX is doing, that is a basic curation markets where the people that are interested in it are using their tokens to swarm around things that are relevant for the, that specific network of people. So that that's exactly the kind of thing I want to see more of. Uh, I like I like uh, taking exactly what you said there, which is the essentially a curation model. Like there's the whether it was a status one or whether it's this current um, whether it's a district X one. A lot of these people have community engagement platforms where they say, "Hey, if you do something for us, and if you get enough likes in our Slack channel, then we will essentially give you tokens." And I think that that's correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty in line with your kind of continuous token issuance model where you mm-hmm. are kind of issuing tokens over time, people that are kind of doing work in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, that that process, that process currently existing in these early, like these, these, these projects that exist and then the early stages are just, you know, giving away tokens to other people, um, uh, building projects or like want to build projects in that space, like the Centralands, another example where the team are saying, you know, if you have a proposal for something cool to exist in Decentraland, we'll uh, we'll give you some of these early contributor tokens, and that model is very sort of that 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 system there. I really really love that because one, you're incentivizing network effect, you get people involved, um, and like that in a way that sort of n- natural way to get involved um, is something that I want to see exist, but not necessarily where it's the teams that are giving away the tokens to people, but sort of we all agree that anyone can enter at any point in time by knowing how they can, can contribute value to this ecosystem. Um, but it might mean that with the creation market model that there's the one of the proposals of it is just like there's this algorithm that defines it and you have to have Eve to buy the token that it doesn't it, it it might end up being too generic. It might mean that it's um it's underfitting for all the potentials of this of this use cases. And so maybe it's sort of it it becomes more f- flexible in the future where it's sort of you know uh, new tokens are issued by a vote of all the previous token holders as an example. So it's sort of a way to spiral or grow this thing more naturally. 
Interesting. Yeah, I think that's a huge question within this space, within the blockchain space generally, is how abstracted should you be? Uh, and there's a desire to really work at the protocol level to just say, here's how things will generally work. And you crowd, you do your thing, you know, you build on top of it. Um, but like you're saying, there can be underfitting problems right. as well. Um, so I'd love to talk about the other side of curation markets or what I see as the other side, which is we've talked a little bit about the coordinating work side. And there's some fascinating work happening there where, you know, these people have comments or building on top of the District OX network in a way to to kind of beat the tragedies of the commons by using a curation market. Um, I'd also like to talk about what I what we call like the input side, which is consume the consumption of information. And you have a bunch of great early adopters here, which are which is our slash meme economy and the whole dank meme side of things. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about how you see curation markets and this kind of meme economy kind of overlap with each other? <laughs> that was very fascinating. Um, I, I I discovered it. Uh, a while after first the published sort of the first curation market ideas. So in, I think it was right after DevCon to after discussion with Maciej Pinsky that the ideas finally come to, came together. And I published an article called Hashtag Markets um, on exactly the same day that the R meme economy subreddit was created, right? So there's sort of this weird zeitgeist that was happening at right at the same time. And, you know, the whole thing was always about like, okay, well, Dogecoin was a proto example of a meme market because it's literally a meme plus a currency. Um, the question was, would more of this start happening? Like, would more of this start happening? Is this a proto example and how granular will we get? And then suddenly out of nowhere, there's this meme economy subreddit where people are jokingly trading on memes. We're just like, you know, buy, 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 Joe Biden memes, hot, 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 you know, hot off the press. These are brilliant. It's great. And we're just so surprised to think like, I didn't expect this to take off. And now there's like hundreds and thousands of, of, of subscribers on there. I'm just so surprised that people innately grasp the concept. And like what it is, just a sort of this this uh, um, sort of prediction system on the popularity of information. And if you think about it, if we just can create ways in which people can predict these things to 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 trade amongst each other, these things like we traded baseball cards or like what Americans traded baseball cards. We didn't trade <laughs> baseball cards, but. Um, uh, I'd, like that system of just trading information is like fascinating because I think it 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 all looks like this one massive joke, but like if you could actually allow all these people, these two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand people on this subreddit, to actually make a living from trading the popularity of memes, that's like a whole new job class. Like people, like your kids will be like, hey, dad, yeah, mm -hmm. I was a meme trader back in my day, you know. <laughs> um, so that 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 is fascinating. I think. That combination of things, um, like I never expected it to to form like that because like initially my the curation market is called meme markets, but people misinterpreted to only mean internet memes, and so I changed it the name to curation markets, which is the more broader term. Um, but specifically doing the stuff for memes itself is still awesome, and I want to see more of more of that. And there is this market there, and so one of the things is like has been thinking towards implementing curation markets exactly for for that. But how that will look in practice is still uncertain to, uncertain to me. Totally. I think it is from my, when I put on my lean startup hat and think from my early adopter perspective, I think it's this incredible opportunity where you have in, in, in the r slash meme economy, they're already doing so much. A, it's grown so quickly. You know, you made a post a couple months ago and it only had 200,000 subscribers. Now it has 250,000 subscribers. Um, and they're already kind of monetizing it in weird ways like Dogecoin or Rare Pepe, but they're also monetizing it through this. They have a, a group of the top admins in r slash meme economy make a 
internet um, magazine called Meme Insider and actually have are making hundreds of dollars a month through Patreon through their Meme Insider, Meme Insider magazine. It's like, that's crazy. And like, so the moment that there is a system that's easy for them to use or easy-ish for them to use for them to start to monetize their memes more than just Karma on Reddit, they're already starting to do it and, and it's going to explode. And the other thing that um, yeah. you're kind of selling yourself short as well is that you have a the curation markets um, consumption idea is also being used. It's one of the first three District OX proposals. So there's Ethlands and then uh, a meme factory is one of their, the second mm -hmm. things that they're going to create. So uh, we're seeing a lot of kind of curation market things being built on top of District OX right now, which is sweet. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, um, let's kind of transition outwards away from curation markets um, and into kind of the macro attention economy in the second part of the podcast. So, uh, and Simon and I were talking before the show and thinking about what we want to talk about here. And essentially, we want to talk about this kind of macro transition that's happening um, kind of in humanity, in theory, which is um, the attention economy becoming a much, much bigger side of things uh, as we transition from a world where capital is scarce to time is scarce. So um, Simon, could you just tell us a little bit more about how you kind of see the attention? And you already talked about it a bit with it when you talked about your kids being a meme trader. How, what are these other ways that you see the attention economy kind of playing out? as we go forward yeah um i i i, th I think to in, in general you could say that's true that we ca capital is becoming less scarce and the more important things are becoming our intention and there's there are various trends towards this like one is just like um you know in, in general you know jobs are disappearing away from the menial ones to more like knowledge work jobs but also the other trend that I see is like a lot of the things that we do in society um, more and more these days is we all become cultural contributors because that's that's the thing that's left to do. Um, and it's and it's fun to do, right, because a, a lot of the barriers have been reduced for people to become creative and becoming cultural contributors. And when I say cultural contributors, I mean things. I also mean things like, you know, I took a photo on Instagram and I posted it on my Instagram feed to tweeting, right? Or, you know, editing one sentence in a Wikipedia page. Like there's this massive long tail of contributors to the cultural commons that suddenly sprung up that wasn't there before. We've all become amateur photographers. We've all now become amateur curators of music. We've all become sort of more and more um, a part of this sort of collective commons of, of uh, creation and curation. And also had this idea that it would be possible to, you know, take that value that you're producing and you earning it instead of it sucking up into these corporations. Uh, so, you know, it's not Facebook earning from your Facebook like, but you earning from the value you generate from you taking that photo. And so designing systems to make sure something like that happens. And it's likely that what will happen if this, if something like that works is, you know, let's say the value captured by all the people funneling into Instagram through an advertising model is say worth $10 billion. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but you know, let's just say that's it. Probably Instagram is probably worth more than that, but let's say it's that. Then the value created from being able to give that money back to people, it will probably, you can have the same product, but the amount of value being generated will probably be much more like, you know, maybe orders of magnitudes more value just because you're, if you think back about fitness functions, the, the value is fitting better towards that which is being produced. Um, so in a broader sense, like the way the stuff fits in is I think when we lose more and more jobs, we uh, and, and on the other trend, paying more attention to things 
that are looking at our phone or stuff like that, that marrying these two things to say like, you know, your time that you're spending doing a menial job is not valuable to society. But I would rather say your value is much better if you take a good photo on Instagram. So, you know, the systems that the economic systems that we have should probably move towards rewarding those things that society thinks are valuable. And in the past, you'd send an industrial era. It was more, you could more say like only your time was directly attributable to the value you, you generated, which is, you know, you had only so many hours of labor a day and thus you received so much funds. And that's, we, in that scenario, we could have also said we all felt more equitable because it was more easier to deduce if you were a valuable contributor to society or not. And so there are various like things changing all at once at this stage that I think would lead to a world where the attention economy becomes substantially more of an economy, but it's not sucked up back into these like three or four big companies, but rather sort of disseminated to more and more people. That's that's the hope. That's the goal. I also think that that gets at, like you're saying, the the value layer on top of things kind of will more directly show how much value things are actually generating. And a classic example here is Reddit. And if there was coins associated with Reddit or subreddits or whatever, that they you can imagine this huge um, ecosystem of tokens kind of interacting with each other in a that's, way that we don't. That's, that's a very good. That's also a very good example. Let's say Reddit's value is now a certain few billion, right? If they tokenize each subreddit and the collective value produced by Reddit will be substantially more, substantially, substantially more. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I want to talk about one other side of this coin, which is, and we, for there, we talked about a little bit more on the, like, coin. Um, we talked a little bit about the uh, kind of curation side of things. I also, something that I think is just classic, and I also think that people don't think about this enough when we think about this new nonlinear transition to the knowledge age. People talk about the knowledge age a lot as the, Kind of the consumption side of things, where does our attention go and that and that thing? But I think that there's what they're missing out on is exactly what you talked about at the end, which is this like decentralized nature of coordination. Um, and so right now we have these kind of big, we have you know the uh, government, we have a you know a national government, and then we have a state government and a city government or whatever. But there aren't that many. Those are like kind of clearly demarcated layers, and there are only like three of them or whatever. How do you think about? kind of how many layers of coordination there will exist in the future and like how people will kind of what layers they'll be part of and how many layers they'll be part of. And that's a good question. <laughs> Cause like one of the original things that had led me down this path was, you know, when, when I first saw Dogecoin and thought the first extrapolation that I did is why can't we do this for people? Right. Why can't we create memes around people? Because one, it will create agency empowerment for the people, but it will also give, the people power and agency to affect the world right so one example that i had in the original blog post i wrote about this was if we if there's a corrupt president we can sell the futures or derivatives of this president of this corrupt president to make sure they stop being a nuisance on society we don't have to wait four years for them to be voted out right and so when we have more direct stake uh, we are more directly stakeholders in many things. We can affect the world more easily, but then it also allows more things to exist. And so that was like the initial starting point. And then I started thinking about, you know, there are substantially many layers that could exist. You know, one of the original ones was, what if I could, uh, you know, um, it's one of the original thought experiments I did was just, I'm walking into my local uh, shop 
and I buy bread and I walk out, right? My, me walking into that store is helping that store thrive and succeed, right? So if I walk in and out with that amount to just buying some of the store's tokens, right? Automatically, some AI buys it for me. Or like I visit the city of Berlin, me being there helps Berlin thrive as a thing. And then when I leave, then, you know, this AI or bot would then eventually sell the Berlin tokens at some point in the future when, I, when I'm not there affecting Berlin anymore, right? So like that was some of the original thought experiments. And then it became uh, additionally some, some other ones where it's just, well, at the end of the day, it just comes down to any, any meme really, right? Because I as a person, as an, I'm, I'm a meme, uh, a city is a meme, the lo your local corner store is a meme, like all of these things have an effect on the, on, on, on the world. And so anything that is an idea that has an effect on the world could have an associated tokenized value to it. Um, but in, in theory, that's, that's how far it could go in the extreme, right? But the, the, the more, the, the deeper question I think around this comes from, you know, to what extent is the, is there value being provided by going more and more granular? Like, are we, is it like how granular will it become and where it will be useful? Um, and so like, would it be useful to tokenize a, you know, one candy bar that you just bought and eat? Like it, it seems pointless that we would know, we'd go that, that deep down. But if we've historically seen the way the web's developed, um, I think we could, we should, we should not necessarily like, um, think that that won't happen based on the fact that things like we've invented something like an Instagram like, right, which is like this extremely low bandwidth thing, just like a double tap and it sends across the world where previously, you know, the way the web came forth was like, it's supposed to be about documents. It's like a large piece of document. And then it's sort of like, can we start experimenting more and more with like lower bandwidth, less concrete things. And then we tweets and like, there's how granular it can go might become extremely, extremely little, like to the extent that you tokenize the, the strangest and weirdest things that, you know, you have these, these, micro organizations that exist for 10 seconds or like you know that that kind of extrapolations like how deep and far does it go um but it all comes down to does this any of this provide systemic benefit so it's uncertain and i think the the, the thing that you also have to realize is a lot of what the web did um was automate this this information sharing so a like there's no way i would have written a letter and just put a thumbs up in it and send it to someone. It's you would have wasted all that lettered space to do that. But uh, instead, um, it might not be humans that care about it, but rather machines coordinating for their own benefit or for the benefit of humans. Maybe it makes sense to trade at the such an extreme granular level, but we won't ever see any of it. Just like we don't see any of the likes flowing around in the cyberspace information superhighway whatever you want to call it <laughs> i haven't heard the term information superhighway in uh, a long time so i think i just i just I just, <laughs> I just love the image it evokes this is like sort of vaporwave like like i'm 
I'm on my hoverboard going through the information. Exactly. Super <laughs> I super yeah. agree. I super agree. Um, well, that's all the time that we have for today, unfortunately. But uh, to give some takeaways about what we talked about today, first, we talked about how Simon got interested in this initially from an academic perspective and looking at different ways that people can consume information from the internet. Um, and then he got in essentially once there was kind of this multi, I kind of think of it like the time around calculus where you have all these different things popping up and r slash Mima County was popping up, you know, Mache and you and Meher were all thinking about these attention economy things. And a big thing that we talked about was the medic value of something versus the utility value of something. Um, we then talked about some curation markets and how what is being built on this curation market design pattern, a bunch of things happening in District OX and a lot of things also happening within r slash um, uh, meme economy. And then finally we talked about in this last section, a little bit about the future of the attention economy kind of value chain and then also what these levels of coordination look like and how uh, detailed and granular things will get both from a human perspective and also from an AI perspective. So with that, um, Simon, thank you so much for your time uh, and hope you're doing well and uh, we'll see you later. <laughs> thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Great, thanks. And check out Simon's stuff and work with him on curation markets. That's the other goal. Okay. Peace. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>